0: It's Thursday, February 6th, 2020. From KLCC News, this is the Northwest Passage. President Trump's acquittal brings activists to the streets of Eugene to protest what they call a sham trial. The U of O suspends travel to China in reaction to the coronavirus outbreak. Trucks roll into Salem for a rally against a cap and trade bill in the legislature. And the Duck women beat Yukon this week, and now they're back home for Pac-12 play. That's all on this week's Northwest Passage podcast from KLCC.
1: Support for The Northwest Passage comes from Columbia Bank, member FDIC.
0: Hi everybody, welcome to The Northwest Passage. I'm KLCC News Director Rachel
2: McDonald. And I am Weekend Edition and Morning Edition host and sometimes reporter Love Cross.
3: And I'm reporter Chris Lehman.
2: So this week has been
0: another interesting week in terms of national news with the impeachment trial wrapping up with the president's acquittal. And Wednesday, after that vote happened in the Senate, there were protests all over the country, including here in Eugene, where 80 people or so protested in front of the federal building, um, protesting that acquittal of President Trump. Speakers at the event denounced the GOP, who led the impeachment trial.
2: We have to take back the Senate from Mitch McConnell and the Republicans.
0: And we had a report from our reporter, Mallory Begay, that's at our website, klcc.org. Another thing that happened this week is the U of O has suspended official travel to China. That's due to the coronavirus outbreak there. Um, They've also put a temporary halt to their study abroad programs um, for that reason. Of course, here in the US, influenza is a much bigger concern. And so the U of O is advising people to wash their hands, and use other precautions to avoid infection. So, Chris, meanwhile, the legislature is in session up in Salem, and um, it seems like it's building up to be another contentious session there.
3: Yeah, it sure is. The, the legislature kicked off on Monday morning, and there were a few new lawmakers to be sworn in on Monday, people who had been appointed to seats Due to other uh, resignations, that's pretty typical uh, for this point in the legislative um, session. But there was not a lot of other uh, pomp and ceremony, as you would see on the the very first day of the long session. They just got right to work on Monday. And, of course, there's not a lot of time. It's a five-week session. So by the time you hear this podcast, uh, basically the legislative session is at least one-fifth over. So they're already starting to move bills out of committee and and onto the floor um, because they have to, to to keep those bills moving and keep them alive. Now, of course, one of the big questions this week was would Republicans uh, even show up, especially in the Senate, where there has been rumors, threats of another walkout Over a contentious climate change bill, and that walkout, uh, at least at this moment, has not materialized. Of course, you know strategically, you might think, well, they'll wait till the bill is scheduled for a vote. That's pretty much what they did last year before they actually walked out. So, uh, you know, in the meantime, of course, the Republican lawmakers, like Democrats, have their own priorities that they're pushing for. So, you know, they may as well stick around the Capitol and and uh, see to those things. So uh, now. As we're uh, recording this uh, right now on Thursday morning, there is a very large protest going on in front of the Capitol with loggers and uh, truckers uh, primarily and and other folks who are uh, sympathetic to their uh, cause, which is in opposition to the climate change bill, the so-called cap and trade bill. And there are a number of Republican lawmakers and Republican candidates scheduled to speak at the rally and uh, one might presume that this uh, very large protest with hundreds of trucks showing up and circling around the Capitol might embolden the Republican lawmakers to go forward with their threat to walk out again, uh, which would bring everything at the Capitol to a halt if that happens, because there would not be a quorum to uh, conduct business. So we'll see what that happens next week could, could be very different, uh, or Democrats might say, you know what, it's not worth it, and uh, we'll hold back so it's it's not really clear what's going to happen
0: so chris why the truck protest is that to do with using gas because it's it would be it would make fuel more expensive if this cap and trade bill passed
3: yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the short uh, the short version uh, of that. There are, are fears about impact on uh, fuel prices. Um, you know, that being said, there there are a number of amendments to the bill that you know we can't really get into all of the the nuances of it. Um, it would affect different uh, sectors of industry in different ways. And in different parts of the state, um, I, I mean, certainly from a, a political theater standpoint, why why trucks? I mean, they're they're sort of big and loud and and visually um, ar- arresting. I mean, you know, eight hundred or a thousand trucks uh, driving into the the state capital area in Salem is a, an image that is just basically made for, uh, made for television, made for online coverage, social media. They'll, they'll get a lot of coverage uh, in a way that they, they won't just by calling the Capitol or emailing their, their lawmaker, of course. So there's a bit of theater, a bit of real concern, and a, a bit of uh, organizing by folks who are very smart at, at how to organize things.
0: Do you have any hope that there will be some things accomplished during this short session?
3: Well, I mean, <laughs> the, that certainly depends on, on who you ask and, and what you uh, want to see accomplished. I mean, there, there are other bills that have nothing to do with, with cap and trade or climate change that are very important to people. Universities, for instance, are looking for some uh, funding for construction projects that Decision was was held off until this short session to kind of get a sense of where the where the state's budget picture was um, halfway through the two year budget cycle. So uh, you know I'm sure that the the schools will not be too thrilled if their funding requests get um, basically canceled uh, due to a, a seemingly unrelated um, you know political skirmish. So you know whether those will happen and, and get you know, signed off before the the Democrats decide to uh, move forward with the climate change bill, or, you know, it's sort of a, it's a bit of a chess match um, from a strategic standpoint, and also from a a how to beat the clock standpoint. Um, So there's a lot of moving parts here. Uh, But certainly, even uh, in the context of this short legislative session, there are quite a lot of relatively uncontroversial bills, technical fixes, you know, would, would the uh, earth stop rotating on its axis if, if they didn't get past this year um, probably not it might think, make things a little bit more inconvenient for some people or, or more expensive for some agencies or or what have you but you know they could come back and do those next year so it, it's a matter of priorities and it's a matter of um, playing nice and it's a matter of deciding what you know what do we want to sacrifice if if we're gonna if you're Democrats and you know if we're gonna run up that hill to, to make our stand on the climate change, or if you're Republicans, if we're going to uh, run up that hill to make our stand, um, either way, it could have impacts that go beyond that bill. But again, it's a matter of priorities.
0: Thank you, Chris. So, Love, you've been following the very exciting season with the Oregon Duck. Uh, women' bas- women's basketball team and the Duck Men and the Oregon teams overall. So where are we at right now?
2: Absolutely, some exciting stuff going on. So this last Monday, the number four Ducks women's team went to number three UConn. And if you don't know much about the UConn women's basketball team, they're kind of the powerhouse among women's basketball in the co- in the college scene. They have eleven national titles, which is totally unprecedented four of those were in a row from 2013 to 2016 by comparison Oregon has none of those but you know they've got their sights set big this year coach Kelly Graves this year um, wasn't super excited to visit UConn especially at this point in the season where we're right in the middle of Pac-12 play they have some tough contests coming up wasn't really thrilled but he he agreed to the um, agreement because what's happening is next year UConn is actually going to visit Matthew Knight Arena and come here so he thought that was a great opportunity. Opportunity to bring a quality women's basketball program to Eugene for the fans and for his own team to take on. So they will be here next year. But what happened this past Monday, it was a very anticipated game and the Ducks just rolled right past UConn. I think the only time the Ducks were behind, actually I know the only time they were behind was when UConn scored first. They got two points and then Oregon scored the next 10 and just kept on running. So um, it really stunned the sellout crowd there. It was a 74 to 56 win for the Ducks. It broke a 66 game winning streak on UConn's campus Thank <laughs> you. So that was really great for them. And now they're headed back home. They're home now. They have Pac-12 play this weekend, Arizona Friday night and Arizona State Sunday. And that's the only Pac-12 loss they had this year was to Arizona State. Mm -hmm. So they'll be looking for some um, validation on that one. The Ducks are on an eight-game winning streak since that loss in January. And they only have four regular season home games left. So, So that's for their regular season. However, for the NCAA tournament, they are predicted to be a top seed. They will host the first two rounds here in Eugene, which is great for them, great for the fans. And then the the regional will be in Portland at the Moda Center. So if the Ducks make it there as they're predicted to do, you can bet there'll be a lot of green and yellow up there. So that's exciting for them. Also, Sabrina Ionescu, that standout senior guard for Oregon, just uh, had a cover photo shoot for Sports Illustrated. She'll be on the cover. Of a Sports Illustrated issue in March, so that's also great for women's basketball. Meanwhile, the number nine Beavers women's team is in good shape, also for the NCAA tournament. They'll play Arizona teams this weekend. And on the men's side of things, Oregon State's men's team has really struggled this year. Uh, they do have some standouts in Trey Tinkle and Kyler Kelly, but they are 13 and 9 on the season and 3 and 7 in Pac-12 play. They will host number 14 Oregon, who was upset by Stanford last weekend. So there's a Civil War game that is this Saturday in Corvallis. And Peyton Pritchard for the Ducks is leading the Pac-12 Conference in points and assists. They are in really good shape for the tournament. Meanwhile, the Beavers are not expected to make it into the NCAA tournament this year. So some great things going on in basketball. They're having sellout crowds, um, Corvallis and here in Eugene. So some really fun things to be excited about. Great. Yeah. Thanks for the sports update. I'm always happy to do that, Rachel.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is the Northwest Passage. We'll be right back.
1: Support for KLCC's Northwest Passage is provided by Columbia Bank. Columbia Bank makes a difference in our community through sponsorship of Lane County organizations and the Warm Hearts Winter Drive, supporting homeless shelters across the Northwest. More information on how Columbia Bank team members give back to Lane County is available at columbiabank.com. Columbia Bank, where relationships rule. Member FDIC.
0: You're listening to The Northwest Passage from KLCC News. I'm Rachel McDonald with Love Cross and Chris Lehman. And Chris, what was something that stuck with you this week uh, from the news or just that you noticed?
3: Well, two quick things, Rachel, from the national political scene, which I don't normally weigh in on. But nevertheless, uh, of course, uh, during the State of the Union address at the very end, we had the uh, memorable moment of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi Uh, ripping up the president's uh, speech, uh, literally ripping it up. You've probably seen that clip. But what I I I found amusing is, depending on the camera angle, uh, some people pointed out that as she's ripping up the speech, uh, sort of in in the front, you see Oregon Senator Ron Wyden seemingly being the first person to stand up and start to leave. So somebody observed that while the rest of the world sees Nancy Pelosi ripping up the speech, Oregonians see Ron Wyden rushing to beat the traffic. <laughs> so that was kind of a, an amusing aside there. And, of course, the other national political story that grabbed a, a lot of people this week was the Iowa caucuses. And, uh, you know, who, wh- who knows who's going to win that? I mean, at this moment, it's kind of going back and forth. Um, and, uh, you know, not to get into the all the errors uh, that are, you know, missteps that happened there. NPR has been doing a great job of covering that. But again, Oregonians look at that and think, what in the world is going on there? I mean, it's not that we expect to have instant results at 8.01 p.m. on election night, but um, actually uh, state elections officials uh, around the state do a a pretty good job of getting results out quickly. And Oregonians don't have to go and stand in a cafeteria for three hours to make their preference known. And uh, Oregonians don't have to rely on an app to get results. So whether there's uh, some lessons learned for other states and from how Oregon does things, not that Oregon is perfect, but uh, certainly the, the differences between the two systems stood in, in sharp contrast this week.
0: Definitely. And I'm sure we'll be hearing from folks like Ron Wyden, who's been pushing for a long time for a nationwide vote-by-mail system.
3: Yeah. Oh, certainly. Yeah. He, he's he been weighing in on that on, on social media this week. And I'm sure that we have not heard the 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 end of the Iowa caucus uh, debacle. We're still talking about hanging chads from the Florida uh, elect 2000 election 20 years later, after all.
2: Love, how about you? Uh, Well, I've been in for Morning Edition this week for Ani. And on today's program on Morning Edition, they had this great feel-good story. Um, It started by telling us how a lot of seniors are feeling socially isolated from others because so many people today are using technology to connect with others, and seniors really lack those skills. Um, And so sometimes when they buy a smartphone or a computer or a tablet, they're told, oh, these are so easy, a child could do it. Well, there was a, a woman on that they interviewed, a senior woman who said... Well, I don't have a child like (laughs) this is completely new to me. So there's this program in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where they're pairing up teens with seniors. The program is called Teen Years, and they are coaching them on using smartphones, computers, tablets. They find that um, simple things that we know how to do, like using control Z to undo something that we didn't mean to do. A senior might not know how to do that, and so it creates all of this havoc and strife, and then they just put it away, and they mm-hmm. don't use it to do things like FaceTime with family. That is something that we think of as being an easy thing. But these teenagers are, are having these programs where they sit down with seniors and show them, and it was just a real feel-good story. The, the people who have gone through this program are just feeling much more energized and connected to use the technology that the rest of us might take for granted knowing how to use. So it was really great.
0: That's nice. It's nice mm-hmm. to hear something positive.
2: I think that might be why it jumped out at me this morning.
0: <laughs> My last thing this week is about the KLCC Brew Fest. It's this weekend, Friday and Saturday, at the Lane Event Center. And it's going to feature 80 breweries, um, 200 beers and ciders. There's also going to be great music from some local bands, including Inner Limits and Fortune's Folly. Um, so if you're interested, check it out at klcc.org. I think this is the last day to get advanced tickets where you get a bit of a discount. And it is a fundraiser for KLCC. So we hope to see folks there.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Hope to see you there. There will be KLCC folks roam, roaming around doing different things for the Brewfest. So come on out. It's inside. So even if it's chilly, that's OK. Come on in. Have a cold beer. We'll keep you warm.
0: And it is supposed to rain, I think. So even better reason to come inside. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us for this week's Northwest Passage podcast. I'm Rachel McDonald,
2: KLCC News Director. I'm Love Cross, Weekend Edition and Morning Edition host.
1: And I'm news reporter Chris Lehman. Bye. Support for the Northwest Passage comes from Columbia Bank, member FDIC.
0: And here's a little bit of Fortune's Folly. They'll be playing Saturday night at the KLCC Brewfest.